0: Good morning and welcome again to Movement Church. My name is Mark and it's exciting to see everyone here. And now you know why Carl is the funniest person at Movement Church. I don't know if you noticed this. I feel like, Carl, you have like the cadence of a stand-up comedian. So like the way that you own the stage, I just, I love it. I, my, my goal for your life is to trick you into doing an open mic night at some point. So I hope that that can, that can happen. But uh, it's cool to hear your story. It's been neat to, to pray through uh, Job Switch with you and, and see God provide in that way. And so I'm excited about that. Well, we uh, we have lights on the stage, we have our, our logo on the screens, and uh, you can probably tell that it's uh, it's week two of. Of our series called love illuminated we 're going through the book of first john uh, we 're reading, reading through that as a, as a church and so some of you have been spending time uh, reading first john it 's not the longest book in the world, so hopefully you 've been able to read it a few times and feel a, a sense of accomplishment, feel good about yourself. but we think uh, that this book has a lot of good stuff for our lives and just some things that we can learn as a church and so we 've been going through that and as it 's week two, uh, that will put us in in chapter two this week and so we want to uh, kind of just get started right away look into god 's Word and see what it has for our lives so i 'm going to ask you to turn. Uh, to, to 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 3. If you have a Bible in front of you that looks like it has a, uh, a water scene, swamp scene on it, we're going to be on page 956. Uh, if you didn't know, there's a Bible under you, under your seat, and the chair next to you. Maybe you've got one on your phone, so you can look up the passage faster than anyone and let us know that you're super smart and awesome. Uh, but we're going to be in uh, 1 John chapter 2. And like I said, we'll, we'll start in verse 3 and, and just read this and, and see what God has for us. So I'll, uh, I'll read. You can you can read along. And I want to let you know, we, we've mentioned a couple times that we love to look into to God's Word and just see what it has for our lives and see what He wants to teach us. If you don't have a copy of the Bible or if you need a new copy of the Bible, if you lost yours, if your kids spilled coffee on your Bible, uh, we would love nothing more than for you to take one of the Bibles that you see uh, next to your seat there because we want everyone to have a copy that they can read throughout the week and, and study. And so if you want to grab that, we promise that no one will try to arrest you at the door for shoplifting. You can just tuck that under your arm, walk out, and, uh, and we'd love to give you that Bible. So let me, uh, let me read uh, again, page 956, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, it says, and how can we be sure that we belong to him, him talking about God, by obeying his commandments? If someone says, I belong to God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and does not live in the truth. But those who obey God's word really do love him. That is the way to know whether or not we live in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Christ did. We'll skip on down to uh, verse 15. It says this, Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. And even more, we'll, we'll skip down into chapter 3. Keeping this theme, it says this, chapter 3, verse 6. It says, So if we continue to live in Him... We won't sin either. But those who keep on sinning have never known him or understood who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it is because they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy these works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not sin, because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they have been born of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not obey God's commands and does not love other Christians does not belong to God. Wow. Those verses aren't kidding around, right? They they kind of... You read them and, and is anyone else feeling like the temperature just went up in here? Like you're starting to squirm or you're starting to think like back to your week and an argument you had with someone or time that you were gossiping and starting to get really nervous about where they stand with God? That's, that's kind of how I, I felt this week. It's, it's nerve-wracking to, to stand up here and, and read these verses because they're pretty straightforward. They seem to say that the presence of Jesus in our lives should mean that we are changed and changing. Basically, the, these passages are saying that when we give our lives to Jesus, we should act different. And I, I wish that these passages had a, a kind of a gray area, but man, as we read that, it was basically straightforward. If you love God, you'll honor Him with your life, you'll obey His commands, you'll do what He says. And there wasn't a lot of, a lot of room for an interpretation there. We love, we love gray areas, though, right? I mean, how many of us have, uh, have ever returned something to a store that we didn't even buy it at? I've done that. i got to be honest. Anyone that's ever registered for a wedding or, or had everyone you know buy you presents, you know that you end up with like six toasters, and, and you don't know where the toaster's from, but you only need you know, maybe four toasters at max at a house, and so you want to return at least two of them, and so you take them back, and, and you don't know where it's from, so you start at Walmart, and then you go to Target, then you go to Meijer, and you end up hearing that there's a Kmart 30 minutes away that no one shops at anymore, but if you can get them to take the toaster back, you'll do it, right? Because you want the $10 gift card it's very important right and so so we love that gray area we love we love that there's a return policy but if they're not going to check well it's not really up to me and so so i can take it back i can return that wherever i want we love when things aren't defined like that we love at our job when they they kind of define time off but we're not really sure what the official rule is of vacation and sick time and so we kind of call in and say, oh, I'm sick, all right, sick of working, and we take the day off, and we feel, we feel really good about ourselves, right? And so it's not like they said, don't fake sickness. They just said, this is sick time, and so, well, what does sick mean? I don't really know. I'm gonna, I, I kind of need this. I need this day off. I feel good about this. Here's where I'm going to go. We, we don't want things to be, to be black and white. We love when, when there's some wiggle room and when there's some gray room, some gray area. We love to to argue the merits of what's officially stealing cable and what's just enjoying what God has provided, right? How many friends have you known, they move into a house and they're like, yeah, I, I tried to get rid of it, but we're getting HBO and it's awesome. I called the cable company and so I feel like at this point it's kind of on them. It's, it's their fault, you know. I, I don't want to steal cable, but I feel like God is just blessing me with these channels, you know. He wants me to watch these one-hour dramas on TNT nightly. This is, this is his will for my life. And so we love, we love that there's a gray area. Is that stealing? Eh, it's hard to say. Is, is taking vacation or sick time, is that lying? Oh, it's, it's hard to say. We don't, we don't like when, when things are defined. And so these verses, they, they make me nervous as I, as I read them to you because there's, there's just no gray area. These verses seem to say, if you love God you'll do what he wants for your life. If you love God, you'll obey his commands. If you've given your life to God, you'll make sure that your life reflects that. You'll make sure that people can see that. And so like I said, I think some of us hear those verses and and start to feel guilty because we're thinking back to the way that we treated people this week, the way that we acted, the way that we talked to our boss or talked about our boss behind his back. And there's just not a lot of gray area there. So are these verses just stereotypical Christian verses just like the Bible to make us feel guilty all the time, right? To say something about our life that we can't live up to and that no one can live up to. And Are they they just meant to make us feel bad? I mean, is it crazy to think that our life would reflect the things that we believe? Is it crazy... To think that our actions will be in line with with what God wants, if we do love Him? Do you ever think about what what people see when they look at your life? Do you ever think what people are thinking when they watch your interactions? When they hear the things that you say, the way that you speak, the way that you talk? Do you ever wonder what your neighbors and different people are assuming when they they watch your life? My neighbors are assuming that my kids like to pee in the backyard. I know that. But do you ever wonder what else they're assuming when when they look at your life? When they see the way that you interact and the way that you discipline and when they see the things that you do and when they see you out grilling and when they talk to you and when you talk about your life and when they can really get a feel for who you are, do you ever wonder how people are summing up your life, how they're sizing you up? What do our friends think when they see our actions? What do our coworkers think when they look at our attitude? For that matter, as a group of people, as, as movement church, what, is, what does Columbus see when they look at us? What do, what do all of our bosses and all of our coworkers and all of our neighbors, what do they see when they look at us, as a group of people, as a church? What taste do we leave in their mouth? What do we, what do we want people to see? What do we want them to walk away thinking? What do we want them to remember? What do we want them to notice? I would hope we want them to walk away noticing that Jesus' presence in our lives has changed us and is continually changing us. But that's not always the case, is it? It's not always what we leave in their mind and in their heart. That's not always the impression we leave with people. You're probably wondering, but Mark, I thought, I thought we always talk about how the Bible is all about grace, and God God is about grace. And aren't we part of a, a family of churches that use the word grace? And so, why do we have to talk about sin and make this so black and white? Isn't there room for gray area? Isn't there Isn't there room for allowance? I mean, let's be honest. We've all probably sinned in the last one hour, right? And we've all messed up this week. And at some point, we we let God down. Yeah, that's that's true. And I don't I don't mean to to, to let the pendulum swing and say, oh, if anyone ever sins again, they're not welcome here, and not well, welcome in this church. And that's totally the Bible and you're an awful person and you've lost your salvation. and yet, as I'm looking at this theme from first from John this week and as I studied this over and over, there's a continual theme, if you love God, you will act out His will for your life. If you love God, if you've given your life to God, you will keep His commands. you will honor him. It doesn't say, eh, you'll kind of kind of try to get that right and if you, if you mess up, well, too bad. All right, if you mess up, oh man, that stinks, but better luck better luck next time. Yeah, the Bible has a theme of grace, and we know that every sin that, that we've ever committed, everything that we've ever done wrong, Jesus took that on himself when he died on the cross. And every sin that we're ever going to commit, and when we put our faith and our hope and our love and our trust in him, when we give our lives to him, he's forgiven us of those sins. He's taken those sins out of our lives, and, and we're no longer defined by those wrong things. We're defined by him, and we find life in him. He illuminates love in our lives. Thus the fancy lights in the, the series name. But but Jesus illuminates love by dying on the cross and by giving us life, by giving us access to God the Father. And yet, we can't use that as an excuse. We can't use that as a fallback. We can't use that as something to justify actions when we want to be selfish and when we want to act for us. A lot of us have have passed classes or, or been able to stay in our major or been able to do okay because there's kind of a sliding grade scale. I mean, how many of us have been pumped when there's a curve, right? When a teacher's grading with a curve and, and our 79 certainly all of a sudden becomes an 84 and we're like, yes, B minus, life is good. How many of us have been pumped to, to get a C minus because we had to have an A, B, or C to stay in our major and as long as it wasn't a D, it's good and yeah, we, we know that, that God's grace adapts to what we do and, and he's forgiven us of what we do. And yet, as I look at these passages, they kind of have an attitude of pass-fail. Not that we're actually going to fail. Not that Jesus is going to say, well, I tricked you. You thought I forgave your sins. Joke's on you, humans. No, it's, it's nothing like that. But it's just that he's saying, if you're found in me, if you're changed and you're changing and you're growing in me and you're changing in your relationship with me... You're going to do things that show your love for me. You're going to do things that honor me. And you're going to do things that say to the world, I belong to God and I love God. And so it's kind of a, an ethical test for us. Our question for this morning is, does your life reflect a growing obedience to Jesus? Do your, do your actions, does your speech, do your interactions with the world reflect a growing obedience to Jesus or are some gray areas that, that maybe we need to admit, maybe we need to be honest about, maybe we need to work on? Looking at a bunch of different things this week and, and thinking about talking about this, and I don't think that I can sum it up better than a passage that I found in, in Romans chapter 6. And so I'm going to ask us to turn there. Maybe, maybe if you want to read along, you can turn there. If you want to just I have this read to you, I'll do that. But Romans chapter 6 really sums up this passage very well. Romans chapter 6. And I'll start here in, uh, in chapter 5, actually, and read down a little bit, and we'll get into 6. But I want us to hear this, because I feel like this, this captures what God wants to say to us today. Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says this, The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. We've talked about that before. Maybe you know that, that sin came into the world because of Adam, but because Jesus came and gave his life and died as a perfect sacrifice, he's removed sin from our lives and removed sin from this world when we put our trust in him. Verse 18 says this, Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight and gives them life. Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many people will be made right in God's sight. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death... We will also be raised as He was. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also share His new life. We are sure of this because Christ rose from the dead, and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin and able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you've been given new life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. So since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive His approval. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and master, because it is easy to understand. Before you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness, now you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you will become holy. In those days, when you were slaves of sin, you weren't concerned with doing what was right. And what was the result? It was not good, since now you are ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord when we understand that we used to be trapped and defined and lost in sin, and when we understand that Jesus gave himself, he came and died and sacrificed his life so that we could know him and so that we could have life, when we understand that he's given us a free gift of eternal life that has changed us, that has given us new life and and new meaning, we should live to honor that gift. We should live because of that gift. This isn't some guilt trip that says next time you sin, you better call the church office and, 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 and fess up and, and change, change how much you're giving that week so that you don't have to feel bad. The point of this is to say that sometimes we still feel trapped in sin and we still inadvertently choose sin and we're still letting sin define us and the things that we used to be enslaved to and the things that, that used to be part of our former life and there's a conscious effort and decision that we can make to say, Lord, I want to give my life as a gift to you. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to honor you with my actions and with my speech and with my interactions with my neighbors and the way that I am at work and with everything I do. I want people to be able to look at my life and see that I am changed and continually changing. I had a professor explain uh, one time that, that sometimes uh, we just need to, to picture that, uh, that we're down here and God's up here. That's easy to do, right? We know we're on earth and he's in heaven. And heaven is in the clouds where people play harps. So we, we can understand that, right? That we're down here and God's up here. And so as we live life, there are times that we're living and, and things are going great. And, and, and yet something distracts us and in some way we mess up. And so you can think of it as you're, you're going up and you take a downturn. And then we realize our need for God, and we realize, God, I want to I honor you with my life. I'm sorry I did that. I wanna I want another chance. And and so we start living life again. And there will be times that we continue to mess up and we feel like we're taking steps back or taking downturns. But as we look at the, the line graph of our lives, we should be able to say, Lord, I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm becoming more like you. There was a time and a moment that you changed me, and yet I'm continually changing, I'm continually growing, I'm being sanctified. I'm becoming more like you and more like your son as I live my life. People should be able to look at our lives and see the presence of Jesus and say that's a person that was changed and that's a person that is continually changing. And so what do people see when they, when they look at your life? I mean, really, what do people see? Not just, not just do they see like, yeah, he seems like a good guy that gives to charity. I've never seen him hit his kids in the backyard, so I assume he loves them. He's probably a good, a good person. What do people really see? The things that you say, the jokes that you tell, the words that you use, can they see that you are changed? Can they see that you are different? Because that first passage that we read out of 1 John 2, it says, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not obey God's commands and does not love other Christians does not belong to God. I wish there was more gray room in that because that makes me feel guilty. I know that there are commands of, of God's and things that he's put in his word that I, I choose to disobey. I choose to, to break. There are ways weekly that I choose to dishonor him because I just think of grace as a magical umbrella that's over top of me and, and I use it as an excuse to not live for God. I use it as an excuse to not honor his commands rather than something that I can say, Lord, because you've given me grace, because you've changed my life, because I'm found in you, I'm going to live in honor of that gift and I'm going to live changed. I think we've made this illustration before, but it's, it's like someone gives you a full ride to college and you say, as a thank you for this full ride, I'm going to skate by with all D minuses just to tell you how grateful I am. I want you to know that I appreciate this. I'm going to have an awesome social life, but I'm also going to put in just enough time in the classroom to get D minuses so that I can pass and and be super happy about my experience. It's probably probably not someone's college that you would want to pay for, right? Someday, if you have kids, you wouldn't say, "Hey, go get all D minuses and we'll just call it even." No, when we understand that someone has has paid for us, when we understand that someone has given us a gift, we would say, "I want to, I want to, I want to live. I want to." I want to be changed. I want, to, I, want to, I want my actions to reflect that gift. I want to do the best I can because of what you've done for me. I want to honor your gift. I want to honor your sacrifice because of what you've given and what you've done for me. So when people look at your leadership, do they see Christ in you? When people look at your temper, do they see Christ in you? When people look at your speech, when they look at your parenting... Here's one. When they look at your driving, do they see that you're changed and, and changing? They should if you've taken one of the Movement Church stickers, if it's on your car. Okay, we've got to be honest here. When, when people look at your life, do they see that you're changed? When they look at your actions, do they see the fruit of the Spirit? Do they see the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or do they see someone that does what they want and loves themselves? We want the world to see Christ in us, we want the world to see the presence of Jesus and that we're changed and we're changing. And so as we, as we talk about this today, there might be an area of your life that if you're being honest is a, is a gray area. And maybe, maybe you've left it a gray area on purpose, because we don't like things defined. They make us feel boxed in, and it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It makes us feel like we're in school again, or it makes us feel like someone's watching us. And so we say, ah, it doesn't really matter. That's a, that's a gray area. And yet maybe we know that we're willfully choosing to not follow God. And the first step that I would, I would offer you to take today, not, not because of me Because maybe God's put this in your heart. Maybe God is asking you to change something. Is there an area of your life that you've treated as a gray area and you're realizing, God, you want me to change this. You want me to honor you in this area of my life. The way that I treat women, not really a gray area. You have an opinion on that in your word, and so maybe I need to get in line. Lord, the way that I talk to people is not as much of a gray area as I thought. The way that I lose my temper is not as much of a gray area as I thought the way that I parent the way that I drive not as much of a gray area as I thought maybe I need to define my life and my relationship and, and give that area to you so what's that area that God's put on your heart first, first step would just be to say there it is God I, I admit it it's an area of my life that needs changed second step would be to uh, to take that to God We've already had a few moments today where we just prayed and spent moments talking to God. And so maybe you can say, Lord, I need you to come into my life and, and change this area. I need to give this to you. I need you to change me. I need you to change my actions so that they can reflect you. Another thing I would I would ask you to do, once you've, once you've defined an area, once you've taken that to God, you, you should share that with someone. I'm not going to say that you should stand up and say, I'm a sinful driver. Just yell it out here this morning. I I know that there are times and and places where you can share things, where you can be open, where you can be honest. We have movement groups that you'll hear about in a little bit. I hope that that if you're in one of those groups, that's a place where you can share things that are on your heart. I know in my group sometimes we, we share ways that we're failing as parents and different things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand up here and, and shout that out, other than telling you my kids pee in the backyard, I guess. But other than that, I wouldn't shout that out. But there, I'm hoping that you have a, a place and, and some people in your life that you can say, this is an area, where, this is a place where I've messed up, and I need to be honest. I need you guys to hold me accountable. I need you to speak into my life. I need you to be loving and graceful and maybe even sometimes mean. I need you to call me out on this. So we define an area. We take that to God and and you need to share that with someone, someone that's in your life, someone that has a presence in your life, so that they can keep you accountable so that they can they can they can hold you to that, and they can walk beside you because let's be honest we we do mess up, we do make things a little grayer than they than they are sometimes, and, and that's okay because there's God's grace, but we need people to walk beside us and and hold us up and speak into our lives and so i would I would challenge you to to find a place where you can you can share things like that with people. Life was not meant to be lived alone. We were created to, to live in community. We were created to share life with people so that we could challenge each other. And so if you're not in a, a group like that, we'll, we'll talk about those in a little bit, but I would love for you to get in a group so that you can walk with people and share life and say, here's some things I'm struggling with. Here's some ways that, that I, I feel like I've let God down and some ways I want to change my life. Because Columbus looks at us and Columbus... And, and Hilliard and the, and the West Side and, and Worthington and Dublin and wherever you live, they're looking at us and we're, we're giving them an impression of who Jesus is. They should be able to look at our lives and see that Jesus changes people. We chose the, the name Movement Church because the word movement means intentional and contagious. And so it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but it means the way that we act, the way that we live, the way that we love people is going to be intentional. And if we're doing it right, it should be contagious to the world. And as people look at us, they should be able to see the change that Jesus has made in us and they should want that change. They should want the same love, the same joy, the same belonging, and the same identity that we have. So what in your life needs to change? What needs to change so that the world can see that you've been changed and you're changing? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you change us. You are continually molding and shaping and changing us. Lord, thank you that you gave your life, sent your son Jesus to give his life so that we could know you and we could be found in you. Lord, I pray if, if there's anyone here that hasn't done that, Lord, that they will, they will make that a priority today, Lord, that they will, they will talk to you, they will give their life to you, and they will understand that a relationship with you is the greatest decision that they can ever make. Lord, as a, as a church, as many of us who would, would call ourselves Christ followers, we know that the world is looking at us and, and we know that, that we have a responsibility to live to honor you. And so God, we take that serious. We want to do that. We want people to be able to look at our driving and our tempers and our speech and our parenting and our interactions and and the way that we spend money, Lord, the way that we treat vacation and the way that we treat cable and everything that we joked and talked about, Lord, we want people to be able to look at us and see that we're changed. So Lord, I pray that you'll give us the strength to identify areas that we've been resisting change. Lord, give us the strength to admit those areas, to bring those to you, and give us the strength to admit those areas in community so that people can walk beside us and speak into us and help us continually change to live, to honor your gift, to glorify you because of you sending your son to change us. God, I thank you for this morning. I pray as we sing that, that we will we will sing and celebrate the gift of your son. We'll celebrate our life in you and we'll celebrate that you change us and you renew us and you make us new. So God, be with us now as we sing. Thank you for the chance to, to gather as your church and be in your presence today. Lord, it's in your name I pray, Amen.